I think tonight's lesson is a difficult lesson. We talk about when God says no. That that is perhaps for the Christian one of the more difficult times in life. You prayed about something, you've desired something, you've asked God for something. And the answer that comes to you resoundingly from God is no. And that's where where David is at. And what happens to David now in 2 Samuel 12, I think, and how he deals with approaching God and God's answer and the response to that answer is extremely instructive for us for when God says no to us as well. You might remember in chapter 12 that the judgment of God has been firmly decreed. The sword will not leave his house. What David has done in private is going to be done publicly before all of Israel. And the child that is being born to David and Bathsheba because of the sexual immorality is going to die. That's the circumstances under which now we are told at the end of verse 15, the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. It is important to see that uh, God is not at all giving us a picture that David has gotten away with anything. Things are not now going to be a-okay. In fact, uh, not only do you have the Lord afflicting the child, but you might be surprised that rather than saying that this is Bathsheba or David's wife, verse 15 says that she is Uriah's wife, almost reminding us and underscoring the sinfulness of what has happened, the seriousness of the sin that David has committed. And it is all because of David that all of these consequences are taking place. We've seen with David, his life has been on the upswing as God had dealt with Saul finally and put the kingdom into David's hands. And David is having success wherever he goes. But David has made a selfish decision and now the consequences are coming against him. Therefore, it says in verse 16, David sought God on behalf of the child. David fasted and he went in and lay all night on the ground And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. I want you to see that what we have a picture of is David just pleading for the life of the child. The description is he's fasting, he's praying, he's pleading. In fact, those of the house try to come into him and try to get him to eat. He won't do it. They try to get him up off the ground. He refuses. He is just laying on the ground praying to God, pleading to God, fasting as he cries out to God to save the life of his child. But you will notice in verse 18, it says on the seventh day, the child died. The child dies anyway, even with all of David's pleading, even with all of his fasting, even with all of his prayer, God said no. And the child died. 
says there in verse 18, the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. (laughs) But the servants think it is quite astute. If what we saw with David was his complete unwillingness to eat, unwillingness to move, he's not acting like the king. He's just laying on the ground, pleading, fasting, and praying. And he was doing that while the child was alive. What's David going to do when we tell him the child's dead? They're concerned that David is going to do something rash, something extreme. If this is the way he behaved when the child was alive, what will he possibly do now that the child is dead? And so they are concerned. None of them want to tell David this news. They don't, you can just imagine, it's like, we're not going to tell him. We're not going to say anything. We are not going to say a word about it. But verse 19, it says, When David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. Just get a sense. As they're all talking amongst themselves and nobody's making eye contact with David. Nobody's, nobody's going to talk to him. Nobody's going to look at him. And so David says to those servants, the end of verse 19, is the child dead? And they said he is dead. Now remember, they're nervous about what David is going to do next. Look at verse 20. David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. This is not what the servants expected. It is counterintuitive. You would think with the news of the child dying that now he's going to be more extreme, more inconsolable, perhaps irrational even. But notice that's not what happens. As soon as the child is is dead and David is notified of it, he gets up, he cleans himself up, he changes his clothes, he goes and worships God, and then he goes home and eats. It's just as if, okay, back to a normal day. You have to be stunned by that. You have to be stunned by there's not anger. There's not self-pity or self-loathing or any of those kinds of reactions that we would expect him to have at this moment. That's what the servants are so afraid of. He's going to hit the point of desperation. He's going to hate himself. He's going to have be full of pity. He's going to do something rash. And instead what he does... So he cleans up, changes clothes, worships God, goes home and eats. And I think the big question would be, how? (laughs) News of your child just came to you that he's dead. And perhaps we should not forget to underscore the child has died because of David's sin. This is David's fault. There's no 
ifs, ands, or buts about this one. It's all on David. And yet, he gets up, he changes his clothes, he worships God, and goes home and eats. How does he do this? Notice verse 21. The servants are even stunned in verse 21. Then the servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You just imagine, here's David, he's back home and he, you know, he's just eating a meal. And the servants are like, what? This doesn't make any sense. This response doesn't make any sense to us. What have you done? Verse 21, you fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died... You arose and ate food. (laughs) David, we expected you to get worse once God said no, not better. Here we see how you acted while the child was alive. David, what is this that you're doing? How can it be that you would do this with the child now dead? In verses 22 and 23, what we have is David's explanation. And there are two explanations that he gives. They are critical explanations, highly instructive explanations. And we get to the application section. We will explore these these explanations that David gives and how to use those in our lives. But notice how, how David begins in verse 22. He says, while the child was still alive, I fasted. And wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. I want you to notice that David begins by thinking that it was possible to change God's mind. And I think that's a very important foundation that David has. Even though God has given this very clear judgment. The child is going to die along with the litany of other judgments for David's sin. David does not resign himself and say, oh, well, you know, I guess that's just all going to happen. He says, I thought I would be able to change God's mind. In fact, the wording is so beautiful in verse 22. Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me? This is a great thought about the power of prayer. It wasn't just a couple months ago. We spent some time in that. We talked about that and talking about handling hard times during suffering. With all that's going on around us. And we did a special lesson on prayer. And I want you to see all the way back here with David. That David has an awareness of prayer in the exact same way. He believes in the power of prayer. Even though God has said, here is the way it's going to go. David then is pleading, fasting, praying. And the reason why he would not get off the ground, why he's fasting, why he's not carrying on with life as normal, is because there is the belief that God could be gracious to him. You know, as we've gone through this series of the Old Testament history books, how often have you seen Moses do that very thing? How often do you see Moses pleading before God? Where God says, I'm just going to wipe out the nation and start a new nation. And Moses says, no, 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 you can't do that. That's not going to happen. Or God says, um... 
You guys go on toward the promised land. I'll send my angel, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, nope, nope, nope. Can't do that. If you're not going, I'm not going. How many times do you see Moses change God's mind? You see that often in the Scriptures where you see pleading and praying and fasting is a way to change God's mind. And that is exactly what David thought. And this is an important truth for us that is displayed throughout the Scriptures. The New Testament tells us the same thing. 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice he says, even as you've suffered, God is the God of all grace. That's what David's putting his finger on. Who knows if God will be gracious to me because I know God is a God of grace. Think about all the Psalms that we've encountered so far in the Sunday morning Bible class where David is expressing praise of a gracious God. Look at what he's done. Look how he's reversed my fortunes. Look how he's changed the condition. Look how he rescued me out of the pit. Look how it looked like all hope was lost, but God came to my aid. Over and over again, David is proclaiming that. And Peter is telling us that is the kind of God that we serve. In fact, just a few verses earlier. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and what David is doing right now to use the first Peter 5 text is humbling himself before God he is absolutely humbling himself before God He doesn't care about kingdom. He doesn't care about eating. He doesn't care that he's got a nice comfy bed at home. He is on the ground, on the earth, it says. He is in the dirt, on the ground, pleading, praying, fasting. He's humbling himself before God. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the first picture that is given to us is that David understands. And that's why David did what he did. Why he prayed and fasted and was pleading with God. But now to the other side. Why, with the news of the child's death, does he now go back home And change his clothes and eat. And why does he go and worship God? Why isn't he driven further into despair, but instead comes the other direction and now is with God and is worshiping God and now is eating and has changed his clothes and has cleaned himself up? Well, I want you to notice that he gives the explanation in verse 23. The rest of the answer in verse 23 is, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. In short, I want you to see what David tells his servants is the circumstances are not going to change. This is what it is. That's his first answer. The child's dead. Should I be 
pleading and praying and fasting now that the child has died? That makes no sense. God's answer was no. That's been the answer. There's no changing that. That's what he's saying. Is he going to come back to life and come back to me? No, he's dead. It's clear that this is the answer that God has given. So why should I keep pleading, fasting, and praying? God's clear answer is no. And there's no reason then for him to remain in the past. What you see David doing from this point on is saying, I'm going to go forward with the new circumstance. He's not coming back to me. Maybe I'll go to him. It's time to move forward. And that's why the answer, the response that you see in verse 20 was so important. He goes to the house of the Lord and worships. What's what's David doing? What David is doing is saying, all right, you said no. I accept that. And now I'm going to worship you and walk with you going forward in this new circumstance. That is, I think, one of the most important things we can get out of what David is doing here. He is pleading, praying, fasting, agonizing, and pleading for an answer from God to change what he has decreed. But when God said no, David doesn't give up and throw up his hands and go, well, then what's the point of this God? No, he accepts that this is what God wants. This is the circumstance that God has put David in. And David must live with that circumstance. Now, we might be tempted to want to brush by the rest of chapter 12, but what happens next is a very important message to David. Two things happen next. First, you will notice in verses 24 and 25, a little bit of time goes by and David and Bathsheba have another child. And that child's name is Solomon. If you know anything about the scriptures, you know Solomon is the son that is going to build the house for the Lord. And it will be through Solomon that the Messiah will come. We know that this is a picture of hope. In fact, not only was there a picture of hope given to David, even though he had sinned because he is given a child, but notice Nathan wants to make it clear to him. Verse 24, it says there, he bore a, she bore a son and his name was Solomon and the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And the name means beloved of the Lord. David has committed a catastrophic sin. Huge sin. Huge judgment. Is God done with David? No. Not only does God allow David and Bathsheba to have a son... Not only would it be through this son that the promises would be fulfilled, but notice Nathan the prophet says, this child's loved by God. God is still with David. God is with this child. And God is still going to do great things through David. 
In fact, that's what verses 26 to the end of the chapter is all about. After declaring and seeing how God is going to do great things through David and through this son and through this family going forward. Remember, Bathsheba's name, very important. It's in Scripture. Critical. And not only that, if God was not with David, Verses 26 through 31 would say that Joab would have gone up against Rabbah and fighting the Ammonites. And Joab and David would have lost in catastrophic fashion because God was against him. But it says they're victorious. What's the message? God is going forward with David. Even though judgment has come, consequences must be paid. And we know there's consequences that are still yet to come. God is giving David future hope. He has another son. That'll be a son of promise. Beloved of the Lord. And we're right back to David's success. Defeating the Ammonites. God is with David. God is with this, with this kingdom. And I want us to see that, man, God is a forgiving God. A stunning, forgiving God. Because who would not read this and say, God is just going to be against David and everything David does is going to be bad. You know, God could have said, all right, you know, I'm going no more children because of what you've done. Or you're not going to win another battle ever again. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. We serve a God of second chances. And third chances. And a hundred chances. And a thousand chances. We serve a forgiving God, a God that in spite of our sin and in spite of the consequences that we ought to receive, that God is a forgiving God that gives another chance. And that is exactly what he's doing here to David. David doesn't need to live in the past. He doesn't need to be consumed by the guilt of his sin due to his sin being the cause of the loss of the son. God's with David. The steadfast love of the Lord has not been removed. And it's even borne out in the name. They call him Solomon and Nathan says, how about Jedidiah? Beloved of the Lord. God's still with you. I think there's two important messages for us as we take this into our lives. Number one, as we see with David, it is true for us. Friends, Plead to the Lord because he is a gracious God. There is no reason for us not to take the model of David here. And when things are not going according to plan or we have concerns, anxieties, or whatever it is in life, plead and pray to God. That you and I are able to ask God to change the situation. We can plead with God to change the circumstances, to ask Him to help us in our time of need. Who knows what God will do? You would never have believed that 
when Hezekiah, for all of his sin, and Isaiah comes to him and says, you're dead for what you've done. Hezekiah pleads and tells Isaiah, plead and pray. He gives him his life back. It is amazing that we serve this all-powerful God who wants us to petition Him, to plead with Him, to give Him our requests. And He says He may change things. James reminds us that the prayer of the righteous is powerful. It's effective. And He's not kidding. David understood this. I'll just plead with God. And so we must plead with Him, and who knows what God will do. But just as important as it is for us to plead and plead and plead, when God says no, and there are going to be times that God says no, we're going to encounter all kinds of times when God says no. Rise up and worship. And go forward with God in your life. I can't express to you how that is the most important thing you will ever do. When your life is in the worst of shape and God has said no. That you go forward with God in your life. To see the picture of what's happening here. God is ready to go forward with us. Just because he says no doesn't mean that God is done with us. And now we're all alone and he's not going to keep going with us any further. God is ready to go forward with us in the new circumstance. We want it changed. God says no. And we have to have the faith to say okay. That's a no. And I'm going to worship you and I'm going to go forward with you. I wish I had understood this concept a long, long time ago. My first great trial in my life, I became very stuck. I spent years in sorrow, in pain, depression over circumstances that were not going to change. And I prayed for them to change and I wanted them to reverse. I wanted my family back together. Let's wave the magic wand. Let's fix it all. Let's make it all better. Let's put it all back. And I wasted a lot of my life and I wasted a lot of my suffering, wasted a lot of my pain, wishing for things to be back the way they were. God's answer was no. That's not going to change. It is what it is. And God was ready to go forward with me. I was just not ready to go forward with him. I was going to be stuck for a while. So I spent the end of high school and the beginning of college being stuck. What's the matter with God? Why didn't he answer yes? How could this be? We all know what those are. 
But this helped me prepare for this, this second great trial and trial in my life. Because God said no again. After much pleading and praying. God said no twice. But this time I understood. Not to waste my life. Or to waste my suffering. Or to waste the pain. This is God's answer and it's not going to change. So rise up. Clean yourself up. And worship the Lord. And go forward in the new circumstance. We have to ask ourselves and be ready to determine what is God going to do with you in the new circumstance? Here's where you're at. And God is with you there. What is God going to do with you in this new circumstance? And one of the most important things that we can ask is how is God's will going to be accomplished in this new direction? It's a new direction I don't like. It's a new direction I don't want. But I must accept that new direction and go with God in that new direction and see where he's going to take me and see how he's going to change me and see how he's going to use me for his purposes and use these circumstances for his glory. We have two choices. And I want you to see by looking at the servants, the most natural reaction is to go backward. That's what the servants expected David to do. If he's not eating and not sleeping and he's he's on the ground and he can't even be consoled while the child is alive, how much worse is he going to behave when God says no and the child dies? And it wasn't worse. David didn't go backward. He went forward. And that is such an important message for when God says no. And when God says no, go forward with God. He hasn't left us behind. We have no idea what the future hope may be. That God wants to walk each of us through after telling us no. And if we look back over our lives long enough, you might consider that there were other times in your life where God said no. And now later on, you can say, I'm glad he did. At the time... His no answer was the most painful thing you could have ever had. But now you can stand here and say, I'm glad he said no. I didn't see what future he had for me. It didn't make sense at the time. But now I can see a little bit better. David's faith right here is everything. When God says no, what will you do? Will you rise up and worship? Will you go forward with God? Or will you stay stuck? And God's trying to bless you to go forward. And you might be sitting in the past, stuck, 
unwilling to go where God wants you to go. Let's go to God in prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, it is very hard in life to accept when we passionately plead with you for a particular outcome and your answer is no. It is so difficult sometimes. It's hard to see how life is going to continue forward. It's hard to see exactly what you have planned for us. Lord, that I pray that we would have a great faith to believe that there is future hope for us in what you have in store for us. That we would always believe that you have not left us. That we would always believe that there are blessings ahead. And that we would always believe that you can accomplish more things, accomplish your will, accomplish your purposes, even through our most difficult of circumstances and most painful trials. God, forgive us for the times that we've been stuck, where we've refused to believe that we could go forward, where we have not believed that we should wait for you, to seek healing from you, or to seek help from you. Lord, forgive us for how we've resisted the direction sometimes you're trying to take us in life. We're standing against your clear answer. Lord, we pray for a far greater faith in our trials to really depend upon you, to look to you for help, And that we would always rise up with a greater strength no matter how dark the time or painful the circumstances. To rise up with the strength to worship you. To praise you and give you the glory you deserve. Help us to learn from our circumstances. To learn from our trials. And Lord, heal our pains that we have so often come in this life as inflicted against us. And even if they are self-inflicted from our sins, heal us, Lord, and build us back up to be stronger servants of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing now an invitation song. We help you come to Jesus. Hope you see that you have a forgiving God, a gracious God, a God who wants to go forward with you no matter how bad the past may be. We talked about last week, sometimes we think before God, our sin is too great that God can't do anything with it. And I don't think any of us can line up sins in comparison to David. If God will go forward with David, he will go forward with you. He can carry you through and help you through as well. If there's anything we can do for you tonight, we certainly offer the invitation for you to come and do that now while we stand and while we sing.